If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet... You can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi there, I'm Jason Gotts, and you're listening to Think Again, a Big Think podcast. Big Think is an online forum for big ideas from the world's most creative thinkers and doers. With the Think Again podcast, we're striking out into uncharted and dangerous territory. We're trying to see what happens when experts are asked to respond to interview clips on topics they may or may not have any knowledge about. We want to see what happens with no script, no preparation. Each week, our producers tunnel deep into Big Think's archives to find ideas that are innovative, timely, or timelessly thought-provoking. And the clips are a total surprise to my guests and to me. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by author and game designer Jane McGonigal. She's the creator of Super Better, a game that has helped nearly half a million players so far tackle real-life health challenges like depression, anxiety, chronic pain, and traumatic brain injury. More broadly, she's an advocate for the benefits of gaming of all kinds and the applications of gaming skills to relationships, career, and mental health. So glad to have you on the show, Jane. Thank you, Jason. I am ready to play. Before we get started, I have a couple questions for you. First of all, have you played the new Super Mario Maker yet? <gasps> no, I haven't. I did not get an advanced copy, uh, but I have been reading all the reviews, and I'm super excited about it. And I just, I love that the direction of video game culture is going in the direction of creating more game designers, not just game players. We let them be creative and make their own levels. Yeah, I'm, the reason I'm asking, or one reason I'm asking is I have a seven-year-old, and so I think a lot about video games. I have two questions for you. I mean, one is sort of, are some games better for people than others? The other is traditional game design. It seems to me like the reason it's addictive is that it creates challenges that are just achievable enough. And so I have had thoughts and questions about whether that might actually 
dampen resilience in terms of struggling to overcome really serious challenges? So mm -hmm. these are two separate questions. These you can good. jump in wherever you like. <laughs> these are good questions. Well, let's address the easy one first, which is are there games that are better for kids or people in general than not? The answer is not exactly. We know from lots of studies now, the number one predictor of whether somebody will benefit from games is whether they can clearly articulate and identify the benefits. So, you know, even if your kid is really passionate about a game that you're alarmed by because there's themes of aggression or violence in the content, don't talk about the content, talk about the skills and strengths. Does that take a lot of teamwork? How do you process all that information? It looks like so much information, that would overwhelm me. How are you doing that? Talk to them about the skills and abilities. That is what determines whether a game is good or not. Gotcha. Should we so, talk about our games so finely tuned to your difficulty level that you'll never actually get more resilient? Because that was a really cool and challenging question. There are a lot of ways that you can redesign the challenges in your life to be more like a game design challenge. That's why in the Superwriter book, there's a whole chapter on how to design quests for your everyday life that help you think like a game designer so that you're not looking at an overwhelming challenge like I have to write this book or I have to do this presentation or I have to go through 12 weeks of chemotherapy or I have to be sad for the rest of my life, which a lot of people in the book are dealing with. If they can use gameful thinking to face those kinds of challenges, then really there's no challenge too small or too big. Gotcha. So here's how Think Again works. Uh, our producers have chosen short interview clips for us to listen to. They could be on any subject, and they are a total surprise to me, too. Are we ready? Mm-hmm. All right. What's first? So this is last week's guest, author Salman Rushdie, and he's discussing how magical realism and realism are less different than we might suppose. The question is, what does truth mean in fiction? Because, of course, the first, the first premise of fiction is that it's not true. You know, that this story does not record events that took place. These people didn't exist. So the novel tells you flat out at the beginning that it's untruthful. So what do we mean then by truth in literature? Clearly what we mean is human truth, not photographic, journalistic truth. Once you accept that stories are not true, then you understand that a flying carpet and Madame Bovary are untrue in the same way. You know, and as a result, both of them are ways of arriving at the truth by the road of untruth. I mean, this is the first novel in which I've actually managed, finally, to include a flying carpet. You know, I really, I've been wanting to do it for a long time. And, and the immediate thing that I thought, the moment you decide you're going to have a rug that flies through the air, is you must immediately ask yourself realistic questions about it. What would that be like? Would the carpet be rigid or would the movement of the air under the carpet make the carpet undulate? If you flew very high, wouldn't it get very cold? How do you keep warm? And I think the, the moment you start asking yourself those kind of practical, real-world questions, the flying carpet becomes believable. That's really interesting. You know, one of the things that is confusing to people sometimes about the Super Better Method is that it sounds a little bit silly, the fantastical elements of it. So, you know, the first thing I did when I designed it for myself was I adopted the secret identity. I was Jane the Concussion Slayer, which was inspired by Buffy the Vampire Slayer. All the Super Runner players adopt a secret identity that's inspired by 
a superhero or a fictional character, it could be a historical character, it doesn't matter, but it's, there's a little bit of make-believe or pretend in it. I think that strikes some people as being, I don't know, a little too silly to actually really help. But the purpose of it is to help you focus on things that are true about human strengths, about resilience, about compassion or sense of humor or courage by thinking about yourself as this avatar, as this fictional version of yourself, you are actually digging deep into the truest aspects of yourself. I wonder why, you know, I wonder where that resistance is coming from. I mean, do you have any thoughts about that on sort of why it is that there is this kind of demarcation of the serious grown-up world mm -hmm. where people somehow feel it's necessary mm -hmm. to cling to a less fun, more oh, realistic yeah. approach? People are worried about being embarrassed. I mean, people are trying to defend a sense of just, just they want to be taken seriously. I mean, we all want to be taken seriously. But the thing that I have found is that having that sense of playfulness in your self-identity, for one thing, it makes it easier for other people to kind of opt into your challenge. If I said to you, I am suicidally depressed, which is what was happening with my concussion recovery, you might be at a loss for words, you might have no idea what you could do, but when I said, you know, uh, I'm playing a game to heal my brain, I'm Jane the Concussion Slayer, I need you to be my watcher. This is something you can lean into. So sometimes having that fantasy element makes it easier for people to do things that are really important. You have to ask yourself, what would standing on a magic carpet actually feel like? That was what I was doing with Jane the Concussion Slayer because I was thinking, what would Buffy do? Buffy would call on her mentor, her watcher. She would call on Willow and Xander. So I had to find my Willow, my Xander, and my watcher. That's, that's literally, you know, by taking seriously the questions of the fictional world, I mean, that's what led to the actual game design. I think it's interesting that a lot of us are sort of waiting for permission to go into or activate their imagination or their creative thinking, yet that kind of creativity may be our only shot at mm -hmm. the sort of flexibility we need to right. overcome challenges. Right, exactly. People who are really facing a tough challenge, something that has sort of thrown their life into disarray, are more willing to do this. There is no way to fix these problems with productivity or with straightforward action. You might have a problem that's going to require creativity, require flexibility, or even a sense of humor. People who are in that situation, almost ironically, have less of a problem adopting a playful approach. It's almost the more serious your challenge is, the more you need it and the more willing you are to experiment with something like that. Um, all right, well, I think we're ready for the next clip. Yeah, this are is you? great. This I want to learn some more. Okay, what do you have for us? This is Iceland's President Grimson arguing that social welfare benefits rather than kills the economy. If you look at the Nordic countries, Finland, Sweden, Norway, Denmark, Iceland, they are all different in many ways, but there is one very strong common factor. These five countries all have very competitive free market economies. But at the same time, these five Nordic countries have developed a social welfare system where everybody, irrespective of their income and class, gets the same right to education, to health care, and to equal treatment. This coexistence of a social welfare society 
where the right to education and health care is equally distributed throughout society, is one of the pillars of our economic and business success. So when my American friends uh, call it socialism in a very negative term, I ask them, look at our economic record, look at the growth rates, look at the innovation. And if you do that, the evidence is absolutely clear. To provide everybody with the right to education and health care is a formula for economic and business success. So what I am hearing in this really provocative talk is the idea that you have to hold in balance two seemingly contradictory ideas, right? That socialism and the free market are actually thriving and that one idea that supposedly is the enemy of free market socialism actually allows the free market companies to focus on their business innovation and do better. So he's, he's t- asking us to hold two contradictory ideas in mind. That immediately makes me think of playing seriousness. And, you know, we're, there's this old saying about 25 years ago by a psychologist of play, Brian Sutton Smith. He said famously, the opposite of play isn't work, it's depression. Um, and even now, if you do brain scans of people while they're playing video games, you'll see that the patterns of, of activity in the brain during video game play are literally the opposite of depression. So even at the neurological level, the sort of intuition that we have to hold these two ideas in balance seems really true to me. Yeah, I'm sure you're an optimist about this stuff. Um, What do you think the prognosis is as far as the kinds of ideas that you're trying to inject through your work being taken seriously within the like mainstream corporate world and in them actually like gamifying things in ways that really motivate you people. know I hate that term and I don't use that right oh gamifying I mean that's not me <laughs> I uh. I uh, I hate the term too and <laughs> I knew that you were transforming things into games so I no just I'm not even I mean really like, that's a that's actually not what I encourage people to do at all in fact my publisher wanted the subtitle of my book to be how to turn your life's challenges into a game and I said no way Jose because that trivializes people's reality I don't want them to turn anything into a game What I'm encouraging people to do is to think about the psychological strengths that they practice when they play, that they, the real skills and abilities they develop when they play their favorite games, and to figure out how to use that in everyday life. The same way you turn it on when you're playing football or playing poker or playing Super Mario, you're gonna turn it on in real life. I don't want people to turn stuff into games. I don't want you to be giving yourself points for doing push-ups, you know, that's not, that's not my thing. So just to like dig a little deeper into that, if somebody is setting themselves a secret mission Mm -hmm. at work or in their personal life, aren't you sort of overlaying a game onto your real life? Look, when I dug into the scientific literature to find out who gets stronger, happier, braver, after they go through something terrible, like an illness, an injury, or trauma, What are those people doing? There are a thousand scientific studies trying to figure that out. Who grows through stress and challenge instead of who is weakened by it? There are seven ways of thinking and acting in everyday life in the face of a challenge that make you more likely to experience what they call post-traumatic growth. Things like having a challenge mindset instead of a threat mindset. And they just happen to be ways that we naturally think and act when we're playing games. So... You don't need to come up with, you know, little gimmicks, the points and leaderboard, the achievement badges. You don't even have to call it a quest. You just need to be able to do these seven things, which 
are, we naturally do when we play games. Yeah, I stand corrected, and that's great. There have been a lot of popular ideas about gamification that I just, I don't do that stuff. Why does my Wikipedia page say that I do that stuff? <laughs> if anybody listening wants to fix my Wikipedia page and remove references to gamification, I will send you flowers. Okay, please do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Aaron, hit us with number three. All right, this is author and entrepreneur Jerry Kaplan on how Amazon gets you to spend more money. If you've ever been online, you know that many websites are tracking and studying your behavior in a way to help you by presenting products and information that they think they believe, based upon your browsing history and other characteristics, are going to be of great interest to you. But there's also a darker side to that activity. While that may add great convenience to you, the truth is that that also permits them to look at questions like, what do they estimate you're willing to pay for that product? And we're incorporating very sophisticated machine learning algorithms. They're designed to manage the overall behavior of the group of people who are visiting that website. You as an individual have freedom of choice. It's a free country. You can buy it, you can not buy it. But we as a group, a set of customers purchasing from Amazon or some other site, we adhere to certain statistical properties. So as a group, we don't have that freedom because it can be managed by the entity on the other side. They know what you're likely to buy. They're at an advantage over you. Amazon is a wonderful company, but it is basically one giant machine learning algorithm that is designed to do what's called arbitrage. It knows what it can buy things for, and it knows what it can sell things for, and it can adjust the profitability in that zone in order to maximize sales, in order to maximize profits. He's painting a pretty pernicious picture of Amazon and online companies and how they're, what they're doing with our data and so on. And your work definitely overlaps with the online world uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> in many ways. Yeah, I mean, there is a similar moral dilemma in the game industry right now in that we have the rise of games that are free. And then they try to figure out if you are somebody who will pay for extra abilities or features in the game. A lot of players feel like they're maybe being manipulated. So, you know, I play Candy Crush Saga. I've only given them my money once. <laughs> when I made it, when I made an economic, I, I was very rational. I thought, do I want to wait three days to play the next 10 levels? Or am I on a really turbulent flight and I would like to have 10 more levels to help me pass this time and block a panic attack? I'm going to give them 99 cents now so I can play the next 10 levels. I've noticed that once I paid, all the levels seemed to get magically easier. It was like they were trying to condition me to think, oh, if I give them 99 cents, everything's going to go great. And I wonder, I, you know, it made me think did they make this level easier for me after I just gave them money because they really want me to think this is a great way to advance in the game. And everyone I talk to has these suspicions. Nobody wants to play a game that's different for you. I mean, I want to play the same game. That's the principal fairness of games. That's really interesting. I mean, the ethics of this are really interesting, right? I mean, disregarding the issue of level difficulty, at what point people start to feel like you know, why don't you just charge me up front for this? Well, because they're counting on the fact that the dopamine hits from the game are going to make you do whatever it takes to beat the level, including spend money. That's why people feel manipulated, because games do tap into the neurochemistry of motivation. I mean, that is, that is where the ethics 
of that lie. So what do you think? Like, is that bad? Should we stop that? Should that not happen anymore? Like, and who should stop it? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I actually like playing a game that's really hard. I like being defeated a hundred times. I like the resilience building aspect of it. And there's even studies showing that players are happier in the moment after losing than in the moment after winning, as long as they have a chance to try again. So I actually think there's been a weird, unexpected benefit of this economic model, which is that a lot of games have gotten a lot harder because they're trying to take your money. And I think that's a really good thing for resilience building. So I don't know, I have a kind of a different opinion on this than a lot of people do because I would love to see people playing games that they fail at 99 times before they succeed. That's interesting. Yeah, I guess so long as it's actually possible in exactly. some you know, small percentage to defeat the level exactly. at some point. Because isn't that more like life anyway? And that's it for this week's episode of Think Again, a Big Think podcast. If you're listening and you're liking what you hear, please do us a favor and go over to iTunes or wherever you're listening and rate the show. It means a great deal to us and it really helps us out. Next week, we're joined by food author and editor Ruth Reichel. See you then.